0: Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker.
1: Welcome to another episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can hear me on Fox Sports Radio. You can read me on Bleacher Report. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. You know who else is on Fox, on FS1 and Fox Sports Radio? My guest, my friend, one Mr. Colin Cowherd. Colin, uh, how are you in this uh, coronavirus episode of Buker and Friends?
0: I'm doing well. It's been, uh, you know, obviously everybody has a different, uh, you know, reality, but uh, it's been pretty good. I've got a little bit of space here and pool in the backyard. And so California Corona... At least it's, for me has not been, you know, as daunting as like a New York City or, you know, certain certain parts of the country have more sort of like, you know, vertical living. In California we mostly don't. Right. So it's been um, you know, great chance to connect with my family. That part I've loved. Um, you know, eating well, eating a lot, and it's been okay.
1: How uh how much do you interact with people that are in those New York and more dense urban situations because i sometimes feel guilty um being in a similar situation being in northern california i can get out i've gone surfing with my son i mean it it i'm not under the same stress <laughs> that that a lot of my friends are elsewhere and so they're like how you doing how you hanging in there and i'm like i don't even really want to tell them like what the reality is for me because i think it's vastly different than theirs
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Like, I don't, I don't talk about it much. Um, But I call my friends back east, and it's just different. I mean, a lot of my friends in New York just got in a car and left
1: uh, a month ago. Yep,
0: that was their reality. And you know, listen to people that have uh, means; it's going to be a little easier if you can go to in-laws or something. And you know, it's a really, it's a confusing time. Uh, You you know, I, I, you know, how do you pivot from hiding from it to business? Uh, I think that's a real challenge for. You know, Georgia is doing it much different than California. So I, it's, you know, we all make choices. I've never enjoyed urban living. I like space. I like dogs. I like, I like a backyard. I like a, you know, I used to live east. I I didn't like the weather. I moved west. So um, there's so many advantages to urban living and there's others to having space. So I, I, I I certainly have empathy for the people that are in 1200 foot apartments with, you know, two babies and, yeah. Husband and wife, it's it's a different reality.
1: Right? Well, you, it's one of the things that I wanted to. First of all, one of the things that I've I've admired in watching you do what you do and getting to know you a bit is the work that goes into producing your show. And I learned this firsthand getting into radio. I, I was probably naive in terms of what it took to do it on a daily basis and to do it well. I just wonder, um, being a creature of habit what what is it like having things upended or what was it like certainly the first week or two and suddenly living in a different reality, but having to continue to, uh, to produce a show?
0: You know, I always try to simplify everything. I, you know, I I don't worry about anything other than three hours of content and and then I let executives and salespeople sell it. Um, you know, it's I, I, I haven't really changed anything. We got very lucky with a Tom Brady story for about five days. Uh, then we've had the draft the last month. Uh, then we'll have the schedule release. I, I've always felt it's nothing's really changed for me. Um, I'm just doing it from a smaller locale hmm. than um, you know. I would do it in a big Fox Sports studio. California is pretty restrictive on you know that they they are pretty restrictive on your movements. You know, other states are not. So um, it, it really hasn't changed for me. I, I, I always, you know, the times you and I have talked off the air, I, I try to keep things really simple. Yeah. I think the big mistake you can do in our business is, is kind of uh, thinking you know more than you do. I'm, I'm good at content. Um, I produce good content. It's original content. It, it sells very well on multiple platforms. And so that's what I worry about. I, You know, if you take a three-hour show, take out an hour and a half of commercials, I've got 90 minutes a day to fill, and that's all I worry about, wh- regardless of where I sit.
1: Obviously, though, the uh, other than the Tom Brady story, we do have the draft. Uh, there's there's not as much content to choose from. Live, you know, live events, things changing from day to day, uh, and I, I know that you've you have a knack for finding the universal stories, the stories that don't aren't dependent on you know, necessarily breaking down last last night's game. And maybe I should have you better explain how it is you find that nexus between what excites you and you want to talk about and what you know that your audience wants you to talk about or wants to hear about.
0: Well, um, I always think, you know, I always think people want, like Gronk, you know, Gronk's going to be a Buccaneer. Then you spend 70% of your day on that. Mm. I I don't think you you know, I saw a lot of people coming up with lists and, yeah. you know, let's talk about the old days. Uh, that's not, I, that's not what people want. People want the latest news and there's been plenty of news in the last month. So I stay on what the hot news is and have an opinion on that. Um, again, I think I'm fine this week. I'm fine next week because of the draft. I'm fine the following week because of the schedule. And then I think you're going to get into mid-May you know, about three weeks from now, and it's going to be more of a challenge. Uh, we're going to have some golf. We're going to have some NASCAR. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, UFC, boxing, tennis, golf, you can do it, you know, without spectators. It's You know, I can watch a boxing match without spectators. Yeah. Um, the, team, the team sports stuff, uh, I'm not going to make any predictions, but the team sports stuff is just more difficult because, you know, in basketball, you share a ball, you're sweating on each other.
1: Right.
0: Um, you know, in, in, in baseball, you have a very long schedule. Do you shorten it? How do you... You know, football, again, you could have gloves and face masks and face shields, but, you know, they have a long one way. But, you know, you know, there's some, a lot of contact, practices, games. So, I, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be stuff to talk about. I think I've got about three to four weeks of material, probably three weeks. Uh, and then I think we're going to get to a, a mid-May that uh, you start crossing your fingers. Maybe I'll take some Fridays off and rejuvenate. <laughs> uh, maybe you book some guests that aren't as um, – you know they're not as uh, sports centric. Yeah. But you know, I mean, this is fluid. These are hard shows, and I think the, the easiest part has been March and April talking draft. You know, we'll have Michael Jordan's documentary, so we'll have four more Sundays with that. Right. That'll give me that'll give me four easy Mondays. Right. I mean, this 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 the following Monday, this this Monday will be easy. I got the Jordan doc and the NFL draft. That'll be the easiest show I've done in months.
1: And you can probably stretch so, that out, right?
0: Yeah, you know, I'll probably go Monday and Tuesday, just on the draft and just on the Jordan Doc. But so Monday and Tuesday next week will be a piece of cake, um, you know. And then, you know, again, Mondays for the next month will be easy, but it is, you know, this NFL schedule, so we'll, we'll be fine uh, till mid-May. We got three weeks here, you know, we'll be fine. But then I think it's challenging.
1: Well, then you're going to have the NBA kicking up, but I'm, I'm convinced that by mm-hmm. mid-May, we are going to get a declaration that the. That the NBA is going to start sometime in June.
0: Now, okay. So tell me, how
1: you feel that. Well, one, it is dependent. I mean, the, the 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 X factor is the whether it's the federal federal government or corporate enterprise. Um, somebody has to come up with a not only a concise and effective way to test, but for it to be uh, available. Uh, on a widespread basis because I just having it available for the NBA would be terrible PR. They might have the technology to do it. If they're the only ones getting tested and you have millions of people out there in the country who are not, uh, I don't know that that's going to play well. It has to be available to everyone. But I feel as if three weeks from now, someone will have gotten their arms around that. And as if, if they have that, that's the number one thing that the NBA needs is the ability to test their players, test them on a daily basis and pull, pull anybody who tests positive out of the pool. And, uh, and so for me, that, that is, that's, that's the missing piece, figuring out where you're going to play and, the venues and all of that, that to me is the easiest part of the equation. They can go to Vegas, they can take over a couple of hotels, they can create a closed circuit uh, for the players, they can convince the players hey, if you don't want to lose a third of your salaries, uh, you know, to participate, sacrifice the two months that you're going to have to live without your families in order to get paid. I, I believe they have the leverage to make it happen. It really comes down to that one element. Uh, of of finding uh, uh, effective testing and i'm just an optimist in thinking that in in the next three weeks somebody's going to come up with a with a plan or the ability to do that
0: yeah i mean i would if you're asking me my dream scenario it's one month from today the nba starts practicing two weeks after that they start playing and then my job is just And then, you know, once the NBA can do it, the NFL, you know, could go September, October. Uh, That would be my dream scenario. You
1: you sound skeptical, though. Well,
0: it's it's this is going to be. Listen, this is going to be a rolling fluid situation. Now, the businessman part of me says the median age on this is 75 years old. These are not people to go back to the workforce. Mm-hmm. You can go back to work. Nursing homes are getting hit. Annihilated. They don't work. Yeah. Yes. So the, so the average age is 75. This is a fascinating virus. It's not kids are carriers. They're not victims. That's the opposite of influenza, where my kids have had, you know, weekends where they're just copping and hacking in their life. <laughs> influenza uh, kills kids.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: we, we had in, in Southern California, we had in mine, Manhattan Beach, uh, we had a brutal last two flu seasons, bad. I think we lost a couple kids. Wow. And so this, and it's a pretty healthy area, you know it. Mm-hmm. And this is, it, they're not affected. So my question becomes on this. This virus is incredibly daunting to nursing homes and people 70 over with medical conditions. Or in other words, the opposite of pro athletes. So when are we going to be honest about this and say, okay, this is awful, but the safest people in it are tested professional athletes, right? It it clearly attacks the lungs. I mean, it's a very perplexing virus. I mean, if you get a, if you get the flu, right, you feel it, period. You feel it Mm -hmm. with this. They they think over 50% of the people are asymptomatic. Right. So how do you explain that? And, there is no question, uh, exercise, the athletes are are hit uh, less aggressively. So I think there's a lot of questions here. Um, you know, there's a social media component where, you know, let's let's be honest, uh, if, if you have a bad interview or somebody gets sick in the NBA, you get dragged through the social media tunnel. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very difficult. It, it's, it's a political story now. Uh, I am not in any way insinuating Democrats are rooting for death, but you know, they're not fans of Trump and the chaos is good for their it by November for, you know, who they want to be president. So it's just, it it feels inflamed. It feels political. Uh, There's a social media component. Um, and there's just so much we don't know. Yeah. Um, I've said on the air, the only thing I know is social distancing I think works. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. But outside of that, every day I get a new story. I, I, you read the story in the last couple of days sure. where somebody February 6th passed away in Santa Clara County, meaning they got it by early or mid-January, which means there's probably tens to hundreds of thousands of Californians that have it that we don't even know about.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And it had no symptoms. So do we have some level of herd immunity, potentially? Um, I, I would love, you know, I, I, I just am very reluctant very reticent to make predictions on the fall. I just, I want to wait, and I've told my wife this, let's just get to mid to late May. It feels like the weather warms up, we'll we'll have flattened the curve in most states, and then I'll feel more strongly about having a strident opinion.
1: You mentioned social media, which you have uh, delved into on a greater basis. It seems to me, uh, anecdotally, over the last couple of months, that you made a concerted effort to enter that space. Uh, obviously, I think for the most part, everything involved with the show. But we got to see you doing magic tricks, which I did not know was in your portfolio uh, or repertoire. <laughs> and and I'm wondering, like, first of all, for, let's let's stop there. The magic. How long you been doing magic, or was that something? Explain that to me.
0: <laughs> Well, my son and I, I, we both love magic. So I take my son to Vegas, you know, four or five times a year, and we'll watch the latest magician. We just laugh. We just think it's hysterical. Who's your favorite? uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot you know I like sleight of hand. Um, yeah, you know, that that's that's tough. I you know I, it's funny because there's a magician I've seen him privately one time, and uh, I feel bad because I don't want to. There's there's a magician called like I think it's like Shimshi <laughs> that I saw the fox guys had him <laughs> in Vegas. Okay. And I, I hope I get the name right. I'm looking it up right now as I'm talking to you. Uh, he was absolutely hysterically funny. It was me, uh, Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw were in a room, and he, Aaron Andrews, and he was doing tricks, and Jake Glazer, we, we were crying laughing. Huh. So, um, you know, that, but, you know, I guess, you know, didn't
1: you as a kid, didn't you love magic? For sure. I even, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated and I've slide a hand too, like making things disappear. You know, the, 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 the manual dexterity needed to, uh, to pull off some of the tricks. Um, I find fascinating
0: for sure. Yeah. Shim, Shim, is the guy. I want to make sure I got it right. He's the guy I've seen in private. I think he's about as clever as I've seen.
1: So, so like you probably seen what, like Penn and Teller, Copperfield. Um, I've seen, I've seen everybody. I'm Chris, Chris Angel.
0: Angel. I, I, yeah. I, you know, they're all, I mean, like Copperfield makes big stuff disappear. Right. they're sleight of hand guys, which I like, uh, Chris angels, kind of the, you know, the hipster who does, you know, I'm going to get sawed in half Penn and Teller do a comedy act, which is kind of gruesome. It's more a comedy act than magic. Almost right. very funny. Very funny. I mean, they all do it differently. And, and that, you know, uh, I think they're all amazing. They're just performers, you know, I mean, like, to some degree, when we do radio and TV, you have to be able to perform, right? Mm-hmm. We're performing for the camera. I'm talking to myself, you know, I talk to myself three hours a day. You're performing at some level, right? You can't just be monotone. So, right. I don't know. I think I just, I like singers. I like magicians. I, 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 you know, I watch kind of the nuances of it and how they perform and how they work the crowd. And I just, I enjoy it. I just saw, I just saw one guy, uh, oh gosh, I forget his name. He was, Norwe- I think it was Norwegian or Swedish, it was at the, um, what's that, uh, the Luxor? Oh, yep. my, my son and I, he had a trick. We, you know, he was not like high-end. He had a trick that my son and I, we literally were scared and left the building. <laughs> it was so bizarre. <laughs> uh, he, just, he did something I've never seen done. He taped the lady up, and one second later, he was taped up and she wasn't. And oh, my, my son and I must have talked about it for an hour and a half. <laughs> We just couldn't figure it out. So yeah. uh, that's my best. So I do a few magic tricks here and there
1: on my Instagram. Got you, got you. So what is it? What is it that you? What, what has that been like for you? Because I to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel as if it's an it's an interesting interesting place, especially with someone as well known as you. Um, you know, some people at, at at your height never engage, or they only engage in on on their terms. And I'm always interested to see when you decide to clap back on somebody, when you decide to engage and have, you know, and to, to spar with somebody, it, it, um, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, how do you, is that, how do you decide or how do you go about operating in that space?
0: Well, I don't do it a ton. Uh, most of all, it's just, you know, tongue in cheek. Uh, but I do think you should make yourself available to your audience occasionally. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think Twitter is one of those things. Twenty-two percent of the countries on it. That's it. Seventy-eight percent's not. Six yeah. percent to eight percent are super users. It, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of media people. It's a lot of political pundits, media people. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of haters. I, I don't see any value in screaming at some angry bird from somebody who I wouldn't hang out with in my private life but occasionally somebody will make a legitimate point and I'll go back and forth. And I try to, you know, th- there is something funny. I think the four or five greatest inventions in my life were television in terms of like media television, face, uh, FaceTime, I think is amazing. Uh, and I think the mute button on Twitter's absolutely hysterical. I mute people all the time right? and they have no idea and they're right. yelling and screaming at me. I, I don't see them. I probably mute, you know, because I, I don't watch mentions all the time, but occasionally I'll, I'll put something down, and I'm interested in the, you know, the consumer's reaction sure. to my opinion. What, I don't care if they like it or not, but is it interesting to them? Yep. I, I'm always more interested in is this interesting to you? And if it's not, if I put something out and it doesn't get likes or retweets, then you, it's just not a very interesting topic, and I move on. I don't, I'm not really consumed with everybody's opinion. I don't care if you like me or not. I don't really care if you like the opinion or not. What I care is is that you engage in the opinion. And if you don't, then it's a dumb story and I'm moving on to a better story. I'm way past the worrying my self-esteem is indented by somebody liking or not liking me. I'm doing fine. What I worry about is I'm boring. And so if I put stuff out and it doesn't get engagement, that's where Twitter is really valuable to me. It, it it illustrates what is getting engagement and what isn't. And if it isn't, I don't care if you don't like it. But if you're not engaged, then I just I just tell my producers, nobody cares. It's a dumb story. The audience, you know, the, the the audience drives the show. I don't care if you like my opinion or not. I'm not trying to goose you. I'm not trying to poke you. What I want is something you're passionate about. And so that's what I do with Twitter. I talk. I constantly gauge. Okay, this guy... 400,000 shares. People like this. I can bring that topic back tomorrow. People are into that. Mm-hmm. It, this is a business for me. I mean, you know, you know I've talked. Yeah. This is just a business. Yeah, This is what I do. If I wasn't doing this and I was in another business, I would be looking for engagement in any other business.
1: Well, and that's what I, w- I wondered whether the, this, um, you know, the sheltering in place, the shutdown, uh, the effects of the virus and your ability to take the temperature of what is working and what is not, is it is it affected in any way, your ability to do that? How are you getting a read on what your audience is really engaged in?
0: Well, now it's easy because we don't have much except the draft. So I've known for the last month, you know, they want trades and draft. March and April is just trades and draft. So that's easy. That'll get much more difficult in about two weeks.
1: How different is it now in what you do? Not, not with the virus, but the way, because we we talk about transactions, I think we talked about this with the NBA. It's become a transactions league. The reason the NBA is, like, the ratings may be down, but the interest is greater than ever is because people are, the, the whole fantasy sport mentality has, that fans have grown up with that. That's the way they think. That's the thing that they're most captivated by. I wonder if from, like, 10 years ago to what you were talking about and what uh, what was attractive to, your audience, how has it changed from then to now?
0: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I find this, this, what I'm about to say is happening in every, every line of work, the rich are getting richer. Mm. I mean, all all this virus is going to do is contract business newspapers that were struggling are out of business. Bloggers are out of business. Struggling magazines are out. Uh, People that have big audiences, Sean Hannity, they'll just get bigger. Rachel Maddow, they'll just get bigger, because you're not going to cut your highest profile people in any business. Amazon, Microsoft, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, a stock I have, uh, Shopify, DocuSign, industry leaders are just going to be bigger and stronger. So anytime you go through 9/11 or a recession, a depression, is it hurts the little guy, small business. It doesn't hurt big in, in big business. In it, I mean, it hurts it, but they come back stronger, they grab market share. So for me, I've added fifty five affiliates in the last two months because local, you know, because local stations have dropped local shows, I'll add another fifty by the college football pro football season. Wow. So I guess my point is how have things changed. Every the big get bigger. The NFL is more powerful than ever. I mean, my job now is essentially cover the NFL, the NBA, and a little college football. Hmm. And then some postseason baseball, if the right teams are in it. You know, when I got into this business, you covered a bunch of stuff. But as it, 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 time goes on in every country, soccer's never been bigger in England. Right. Soccer's never been bigger in Europe. The little guys lose because the capital, the money gets behind the big profit ships. And in every business, you know, go look at Silicon Valley. I mean, Apple's greater than ever. You know, Google is a trillion dollar business. Amazon is bigger than ever. That's that's. And the NFL is going to get bigger. The NBA is going to get bigger. And I don't see. And I think baseball will survive. I think we'll. I think baseball. You know, more people are going to be indoors and not going to games. That'll boost Major League Baseball's ratings. Um, so I think the strong will get stronger. I think you yeah. know, lucky at Fox, we don't have a World Cup this year. When a World Cup back comes back next year, I think they'll set. They'll have great ratings. Yeah. Uh, what I worry about is a, a lacrosse league, right. you know, it's, it, you know, the, it's XFL. the little stuff that's going to get, yeah, it's going to get XFL, the little stuff's going to WNBA, that's going to get hurt.
1: Yeah.
0: So I just found over the course of my career, uh, the power players, the power leagues have gotten stronger. Business continues to contract about every seven to eight years. We have a recession. The small guys get eaten up. The big guys get more market share.
1: Yeah the uh, i'm thinking about all of the guys that you've talked about uh on your show of late that uh that your your conversation about them or your and I'm, baker mayfield leads the list so uh in in order to describe the guys that i'm talking about uh baker i think is at the top of the the list right now if you were to have a dinner and you were going to pick the four sports entities the sport the four sports people that you'd love to have at a table to talk to and to just go th- back and forth on you know what they've done what you've said about what they've done like you you would find it fascinating because sometimes we talk about people people are in the public eye and they are subjects of what we talk about but they're not necessarily fascinating people in and of themselves or people that we'd like to know more about. Sometimes there're people like I know you. I like I know you. I know who you are and uh, I I'm not really interested in 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 sitting down with you because I don't know that you're going to bring anything to the table. But I wonder who in the sports world rings the bell for you that you'd like you know, I've been talking about this guy a lot or I've, you know, I I really love to be able to sit down and hear his side of things and have an engaging conversation about the whole deal?
0: Well, I think Adam Silver, okay. um, Mark Cuban um, are fascinating people. Um, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, the the, the, uh, the warrior, who's the uh, Peter? Um, Peter, Google. Warriors, Dodgers, Peter Guber, Mark, Sum- uh, Mark Cuban, uh, Adam Silver, um, you know, I think smart people who are in businesses that are evolving, mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of stuff interests me. You know, athletes are fine. Um, but I, if you're asking what fascinates me, you know, I used to I, I used to say this all the time. It used to be if I could golf with three other people, a foursome, it would be Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, Bill Parcells. <laughs> I used to say that like 15 years ago. Um, I like thinkers. That's probably why you and I get along. I I think you're a smart guy. I'm, you know, athletes are great. I love them, but people that are running businesses that are dealing with this crisis, you know, Adam Silver right now, I think is a fascinating person. You know, I, I totally disagree with the NBA's um, push toward the G league and their dismissive nature of college basketball. I only know Zion because of college basketball. Yeah is the NBA essentially creating a baseball minor league system, which has hurt the sport, which is, I don't know any of these guys. Yeah. They get drafted. They go to these Appleton, Wisconsin. I don't see them. Then they go to a bad baseball team. And if they don't make the playoffs, I, a guy can play 12 years and I barely know it. Um, I think college basketball for a year is a dynamic marketing platform. And it, it's about nine months. By the way, you do get paid, according to some reports. We just don't know about it, and you get nothing but swag, love, and I think being on a campus at Duke and Mike Shishovsky is better than playing for the Fort Lane Mad Ants with a with a coach who couldn't make Duke staff. So mm-hmm. I would just love to go an hour on that topic. So that stuff fascinates
1: me. Yeah, what scares me about that model with the with the NBA is that, uh, and it and this is for selfish reasons because. I do still uh, spend at least part of my time writing the stories of athletes. And the more interesting the athlete and the more ability the athlete has to tell their story and to understand what about their life experience makes for a good story, the better uh, or the easier it is for me to tell those stories or dig dig those out of them. And... Baseball players have always been the worst because they go straight from high school into the minor league. So now they're already just, they they don't have a whole lot of life experiences outside of baseball, their craft. And and just imagine for you or I or anybody else uh, who is storytelling or creating content, if you're only... You know, if you're if you're that football coach that only watches tape and doesn't know what's going on in the real world, you know the, the Joe Maddens in baseball are are treasured because they have a world view. Um, they can speak about baseball, but they can do it with sort of an enlightened perspective. Uh, I, I fear that you know, not going to college, even if it's a year, you know, you're thrown into a completely different. You're exposed to different cultures, different experiences. You get at least a, a taste of that. Um, if if we're going
0: well, either, to,
1: if we're going to directly I mean, yeah, minor league, well, you take that away. Yeah, I
0: mean, Michael Jordan, and you watch the documentary. How polished was he first year yes. in the
1: NBA? Yes,
0: that's what going to North Carolina does.
1: And how much did that experience culture... inform him? Like, right? I oh, mean, God. I mean, he
0: was. He just was. I mean, he was so polished and refined. He could walk into a room, not be intimidated. I mean, he was ready to be a star. Um, he was ready to literally be a star six weeks into the NBA, to be the face of the league. He was ready for it. I mean, this Jalen Green, I think, is the young man now. He's a baby. I mean, as great yeah. as LeBron was, he, re- he wasn't ready to be the face of the league. He was a kid. Yeah. He was a kid until, the and he really wasn't, didn't feel like he'd grown up until the end of like seven years in Cleveland. Then it was like he, he became a businessman about year five. Right. So the, the, the idea that college has no value, I mean, again, if you want to take high school players and get them paid, basketball culture is very strange to me. It's all about getting the guy paid and getting others paid. Get him paid and let everybody get on the, the, the basketball player's gravy train. Football is not about that. It's about emotional growth. It's about let's find the guy. Let's develop the guy. And then, by the way, half the NFL is undrafted. Because you, you really, basketball, football players generally get married sooner. They raise families sooner. They're more mature sooner. Hmm. And that college experience to me is crucial. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm happy for a 19-year-old, 18-year-old high school kid getting, getting paid. But in the end, it, it feels like people are just latching on to him. And they're making he he starts becoming a corporation at nineteen, right? And I think he needs some emotional depth and he needs some guidance. And I think you can get that at the college level. I mean, Zion, you're going to tell me Duke didn't elevate him? He didn't? That wasn't a credit? It was yeah, a debit? No, it was? I, 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 I just don't I don't get the, the the NBA model is find a player, get him paid, and then send him to Fort Wayne for a D level <laughs> coach. I don't get it. Well, this is the part I
1: don't get it. I, I and and I'll throw this out to you. I talked about this on my last podcast about and this is what I got from the Jordan doc that it one of the the, the big takeaways for me was the fact that Jordan as big as he was, as polished as he was, coming into the league, he still had to earn his stripes. The you had the the clips of the guy saying, "Hey, this is a center's league. This is a big man's league." Yeah, he's great, but He's not going to dominate, and uh, and, and, and he's, he himself said, I came in thinking I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I feel as if, particularly in the NBA, guys are anointed before they've ever accomplished anything. And Kobe, same thing. Kobe came in. He came off the bench. He was lucky enough to go to a very good Lakers team where he had to take the Jordan model and say, okay, who's the best player here? Oh, it's Shaq? Okay, so that's the guy, I got, that's the guy whose head I have to chop off in order to become the leader of this team. Uh, uh, but you don't have that, and I, and I think it's undermining the development of what should be great talent. Carl Anthony Towns could be a monster. He, he's never going to be. Uh, Markel Fultz. Uh, you could go down the line. Tracy McGrady should could have should have been one of the greatest players he was already uh anointed when he got to the league I don't I, and football doesn't have this problem you, you like the numbers game you have to you have to prove yourself baseball you got to you got to grind through the minor leagues I don't know if there's a solution for basketball and I throw that out there knowing that I gave you no time to prep for a, a, a thought on this but I figured I'd throw it out there because to me it is, a, it, it is an issue that's undercutting the NBA and the talent coming in, and I don't have an answer for it.
0: Yeah, I don't think there is an answer for it. I think that's the basketball culture. So what, what happens? You have more whiffs. I mean, the NFL draft is seven rounds, and you still get dozens of starters undrafted. The NBA draft, you're out of players by the 13th pick. I mean, Draymond Green is a rare story. You know that, and I know that. You know, know, every GM I've ever talked to, they're like, you know, after the 13th, 14th pick, it's pretty pretty thin. Um, And that's why you have – because you don't develop anybody. So you've got a handful of transcendent talents, um, and fewer and fewer of those are domestic now. It's an international game. So how many kids in the top 13 to 14 are American kids? Ten? So ten, think about that. All the basketball played in this country, 10 guys a year make an impact on the NBA. It mm. should be much higher. Mm. Um, but when you don't develop people emotionally, some people just get overwhelmed. I mean, yeah. I covered the Portland Trailblazers and watched guys like Garius Miles make some money and Sebastian Telfair and those kind of guys, but they're just overwhelmed by the league. They weren't ready for it. So it takes a special kind of transformative talent like a Kobe or a LeBron to make it through um, with good owners and good coaches. But there's just, there's just, it, there's a lot of whiffs. I mean, for as many kids playing basketball, for as much basketball talent, shouldn't the draft give us 20 good players a year? But it doesn't. It it gives, it gives us how many – I mean, if you go back 20, 20 drafts, 15 drafts, how many players a year come into the league and really make an impact in this league? And I mean an impact in this league. Mark Cuban and I were emailing. He's like, Colin, there's three guys in the league that move the TV ratings. Yeah. I mean, think about this. The NBA is a star-driven league it has shoe companies promoting its players how many guys move the needle yeah. in the nba the tv yeah. needle 3 zion lebron and kevin durant maybe Steph? maybe yeah the nfl is about developing players yep. a corporate shield and yet there's 10 to 15 guys even even marginal players on bad teams baker mayfield get me to a tv set get
1: right.
0: people to it i see the numbers so i think when you just when you're when you're goal is just getting paid and not developing a kid. I think it, it it just innately doubles and triples the amount of failures. And it's unfortunate because I, I've I've watched it personally, guys that just needed development could have used another year or two in college would have been much more mature, better lifestyle choices, better basketball choices. And they, you know, three years in, they're just overwhelmed by the league.
1: Uh, yeah, no, but I would, I would venture to say that the reason that the NBA is going the G League route is because they believe that they can at least develop them from a basketball standpoint. Bring them in, incubate them, and they will develop. Because it is, if you have athletic talent, the athletic talent to play at the NBA level, the college game is a great platform for exposure. It's not going to make you a better basketball player. The, the the days of Michael Jordan learning fundamentals at the hands of Dean Smith, those days are long gone. <laughs> a guy has promised uh, his minutes in order to get him there. He's not going to wait in line, and you're not going to force him to play the game a certain way. Colleges are doing what the NBA did. I mean, it's all been trickled down, and they're now conforming their, their style of play to uh, based on, on attracting the players that that they want to get uh i i was just looking at my my notes here and when i asked you about the people that you'd want to have a conversation with you'd want to have dinner with uh or or playing a a foursome you said adam silver mark cuban and peter guber all three non-athletes is there an athlete is there somebody who plays the game or maybe uh, I guess Cuban's the GM of the, of the, of the Mavs, but like somebody who's directly involved in the actual sport that captivates your interest.
0: Well, the only athlete I've never interviewed, cause I've interviewed Tiger.
1: Um, um and did you, you and know, what did you think Michael of
0: Tiger? Oh, it's good. I mean, he's guarded. Most athletes are guarded. Um, yeah. They're all guarded. Phil Nicholson's the only athlete I've wanted to interview and haven't been able to interview. He doesn't do a lot. Um, that's it. Phil's it. Um, I interviewed Tyson, Barkley. You know, I've, I've interviewed everybody. Uh, LeBron, I, you know, LeBron doesn't do radio, TV much, right? Right.
1: Um,
0: but I, but I, I see so much of LeBron, I don't think it. it's not like it, I would be blown away by it. I kind of know how he feels about stuff. Um, I think some of these people are guarded. I think Phil Mickelson, if it was a no holds barred hour interview about his life,
1: mm-hmm. I think it'd be
0: fascinating. I and mean, he's really bright, um, and he's very experienced. I mean, he's got so many life experiences battling Tiger, and you know his global travel, and um, he's done so well off the field with businesses. And you know, there was that Major League Baseball team run he was in, and uh, you know he was trying to own a team at some point. I think, and I don't know. I think. I I just think he's an interesting guy. Hmm. Um, It's not that I'm not interested in athletes, but the stuff that fascinates me is not really game related. I mean, you know, I watch games like everybody else, but, you know, I I would much rather talk to Mark Cuban about the growth internationally of basketball and the challenges. I like to talk to smart people who are facing challenges. And I like to see how their mind works. That fascinates me. I, I can remember when I was, you know, I can remember when I was in my, Teams. I was. I had. I was really close with a couple of my teachers, you know, and, and much more than some of the students. Um, you know, I always look for advice or wisdom. Maybe I didn't have a strong enough relationship with my dad. who was a workaholic, and I was looking for advice and wisdom from you know older people. But I've always kind of been into that. You know, I've always gotten along with my bosses because I, you know, my bosses are basically building, shaping companies, making global decisions. That stuff interests me. You know, tomorrow to me has always been much more interesting than yesterday. Athletes mostly talk about yesterday.
1: Yeah.
0: Mark Cuban talks about tomorrow.
1: All right. Um, hmm. A couple of things. Uh, First of all, how much online shopping are you doing?
0: I don't online shop.
1: At all. At all.
0: Um, No, I don't shop. My clothes are furnished by Fox mostly. They get me dress shirts and stuff. And, you know, I'll go to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy some stuff or Tommy John underwear, you know, occasionally, um, a lot of my sponsors I use. And so if they furnish stuff and, uh, I'm not a shopper, <clears throat> I'll go maybe to, I'll go, there's a store around. that has got some kind of cool stuff. I, I buy once in a while. Cool for me, but I'm not an online shopper at all. I, I don't do, you know, I'm, uh, You know I watch Netflix like everybody else, but you know I'm I'm pretty old school. I'm pretty uh, much a creature of habit. So uh, online, I'd rather go buy something. I'd rather go buy my wife uh, a necklace, buy my daughter something. I'd rather go buy it than do it online. Hmm. Well, I like the experience of going with my son to Best Buy. He loves computers and he loves you know coding. I'd rather go with him and enjoy the experience of shopping with him.
1: Hmm. Fair. You um, you mentioned your your high school experience. You were also you. You played quarterback, and you were and you played point guard, right? Two sports. Was there well, anything else?
0: Shoot, I played everything poorly. I was a shooting guard. And, oh, okay, um, I was a you know a poor high school quarterback. You
1: know? How much does that your experience playing inform? Because I've said no one's ever objective about sports. We're all shaped by our experiences who we learned the game from, what we saw, what we gravitated toward, our own personalities within the game. How do you think your experience in playing sports has impacted the way you talk about sports?
0: Well, you know, I work out every day and and I know Rick, you work out. I I have always believed I want to be in pain every day. You know, like I run (laughs) and I sweat and I pop and I'm exhausted and I lift three or four times a week like I think it's I like to be an athlete I have served I you know I do I get out I move constantly I play tennis I I like to work out I like to sweat it makes me feel athletic I think as a sportscaster I don't know why this is because I grew up watching sportscasters who weren't athletic at all you know they were overweight or they were small and but I've always liked. I've always wanted to be somewhat athletic, you know, like if I meet a pro athlete and he's like, wow, look, you're in pretty good shape, dude.
1: Right. And I'm
0: always like, well, yeah, I mean, it's almost like I'm, I'm being respectful to the pro athlete. Like if I'm going to talk about sports, I want to be, I don't know how to, I just, I feel like it's kind of ridiculous to talk about sports if it looks like you've never picked up a ball. Right. And so I'm like you, I work out every day and I'm uh, I'm kind of jockey. I've always liked sports. I I you know, I'm just somebody that needs to sweat every day and does it shape the way I see it? I think it makes me respect how great athletes are when I go out and bust my butt and, and can't break a six minute mile or a six thirty mile. Yeah. And yeah. then I watch them do what yeah. they yeah. do. I'm like, it gives yeah. me more respect to the
1: athlete. It, it, that, that, that's exactly it. I, I was for me, it is understanding on some level what it is that they go through and how hard it is to maintain that as a professional and being conscious of you know working your body and the ups and downs of working your body and and having that sensibility when you're talking about what it is that they do. And I agree with you. I, I, I think it is respectful, but I also I, I think it's instructive on some level to, to it, understand that.
0: You know, Rick, if, if you listen to me, if I criticize Aaron Rodgers, I criticize his personality. Right. I'll say he's too passive-aggressive. Kevin Durant's personality, Baker Mayfield's decision-making. Right. I don't question athletes' guts, courage, it's uh, the same with coaches. I don't question play calling. I think sportscasters sound like idiots when they try to question play calling. You have no idea right. when Andy Reid sends out a jumbo set, who's healthy, who's not, right. what he's seen on film. Right. I can question um, his lack of guts going for it on a fourth down. I'm not going to question his, 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 you know, the units he sends out or his right. play calling because I haven't looked at film. But I can say, you know, I think Andy got very conservative. Um, I, I think he he should have been more assertive. I think he should have pulled that guy. But I, I don't like calling individual plays. I I try not to. Although sometimes in big games, like an individual play is the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, same with athletes. I I don't I don't rip a guy for you know God he didn't he struck out or he missed the jumper. It's generally a kind of a sense of, I thought LeBron was too passive. Right. I think LeBron be more assertive. Um, you know, I, I think Kevin Durant needs to get off his burner account. I, I don't, I, I, you know, that's the kind of stuff I criticize athletes for. Like right. Baker Mayfield's lack of judgment. That's because I have judgment. And that's something I can, I can compare to. Sure. But I know that Baker Mayfield is a great athlete that can do amazing things. I could never do. And I know it's hard as hell facing the Ravens and Steelers defenses to complete passes when Freddie Kitchens is scheming them. So that, that, like I've said, I, I, I wouldn't have drafted Baker. It wasn't because I, I thought he was a marginal quarterback. I didn't like his judgment. Hmm. He's a franchise quarterback. Hmm. I absolutely, I, I don't think he's the number one pick, but he's a franchise quarterback. He's talented, talented thrower. So I, I, you know, I, I'm even even when I'm critical. I generally try, with some exceptions, I generally try to criticize things that are relatable to the average person. but I think it's fair to criticize. If I have bad judgment, I should be criticized. Yeah. And if he has bad judgment as an athlete, he can be criticized.
1: Yeah. No, I'm there. And I, look, it's a time in my life where I had some fairly bad judgment, and <laughs> I and yeah. I've grown out of it. And I and I give people the opportunity to correct their mistakes. I, I'm okay. You know, everybody, everybody makes a mistake. It's how do you handle that mistake in the aftermath? If you're not going to embrace that it was a mistake or you're going to continue to do the same thing, that's where I'm going to take the greatest issue. Like, hey, dude, do something different. Cause I can, you know, everybody's, everybody's fallible. Everybody's vulnerable. Everybody makes mistakes, but learn from your mistakes when somebody doesn't that's to me is that that's where I, I i get off the i get off the ship um before i let you go i every time i think of you colin i think of a uh, banana cream pie and so oh my god in in this time of uh of the shutdown how i i assume you are uh ordering takeout from slay uh for those who may not be familiar uh colin was grace, uh, gracious enough to invite me out to dinner when I was down in LA, um, a couple of months ago. And we went to one of his favorite restaurants and, uh, I got to basically see him. I mean, it was, it was like meeting the Godfather. He had his own private section. It was behind a curtain. Um, I, I just walked in that, who are you? I'm here to see Colin. Uh, suddenly everything changed. It was like the light in the, in the place changed. And music came on. I hadn't even noticed uh, prior to that, and so I say all that because we had for dessert that night and met uh, Colin's lovely wife as well. Uh, we had banana cream pie. That was I think that he just brought it out for us, right? We didn't even order it. Do I have that right? I think
0: I, I think had I had it before, and I said you got. you've got to have this banana cream pie
1: okay that might have been it because I know he brought out a couple things that was basically again when you're there with Colin it's like the chef's table out in the restaurant he's just going to make things and bring them out and see if they uh, see how how Colin feels about them Uh, in any event (laughs) the banana cream pie was spectacular and then of course you put on Instagram a little later that you had an entire pie I think sent to your house maybe yeah, they said we didn't ask for it. They sent it to our house. <laughs> you I mean, did. See, about. this is what I mean. He didn't ask for it. Of course, Colin didn't have to ask for it. It was Ah, <laughs> <laughs> just was leave it at so that. Good. here's my it question. So, Sheltering yeah. in place. How much how much pie have you been eating?
0: Well, slay is opening back up tonight. They've taken the last 3 weeks off. because he was concerned about getting um giving potentially the virus to just sap. He just didn't feel comfortable potentially young people getting sick. Okay. So he shut it down for three weeks. Um, he's opening a, a up tonight just in terms of delivery. Oh, okay. Uh, what I've tried to do, what I've really tried to do, and I'm sure many of your listeners have done is about every, every other night I'm ordering out from a different restaurant in my neighborhood, right. trying to tip really well uh, for these drivers and um and ordering and and you know sometimes ordering more than we want and just eating it the next day so I don't want to eat out every meal because you know everything's butter and bacon and you know
1: sure in in
0: restaurants but um no I think you know in my small town uh, some of the restaurants are not going to survive so the ones that I think could be on the bubble we've ordered a few a few times from and you know you, you, you know I'm, I'm not really spending money doing anything so why not tip people like I'm not I'm sure. just not spending money so we're not're you know, not doing anything right So I have no problem like most of your listeners and you you know tipping well and and uh, they're very very the gratitude's incredible. and I gotta tell you I think uh, I, I, there are certain industries that have been really that have elevated my life and I'm somebody that likes to eat out two or three times a week. Um, you know, my parents never did. We never did. I never did in college. I didn't go out with money. Uh, so when I could finally afford, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago to go out to eat, I like going out to eat with friends. It's my, it's my thing. And, um, and so it's, it's, we've ordered in Manhattan beach. They do a terrific job and I just cross my fingers that the smaller proprietors can survive. I just don't know if they will. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, we don't, you know, the virus has not been, um, you know it's punitive here in manhattan beach we just haven't had that many cases the beach cities have been very fortunate um you know who knows why no. but um I, I you know business is closed and the little guy is going to get squeezed um and it, it's really sad i just talked about my wife today about this it's just this this virus has been really rough on the poor multi-generational living um essential workers uh, older people who have medical conditions um you know, it's it's uh it's, it's gonna change America.
1: Yeah. All right, on that happy note we will uh <laughs> no, just,
0: such a downer.
1: Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> no, but overall, uh Colin, thank you so much for I enjoyed this. This is basically like one of our phone calls. We just happened to record it and
0: um This is what we this is the banana clean pie and global issues. That's yes. The, that and bitch about the G League. <laughs> it...
1: Uh, you just described our job, right? That's it's it's, uh, it's what we get to do, essentially.
0: So at least on our own time. Are, you are um, back up in the bay now. You you're just staying in the bay, right? That's where you're at.
1: Yes, in the bay, actually, uh, in a in a coastal beach town, much like yourself. Um, and now how is
0: it, How is it? How has it been here?
1: Well, it's it's it it has been. I, I'll I will, I'll be honest. I. Um, I don't, I'm not getting out all that much other than going to the store. Now, everything is essentially closed. We've been doing the same thing that you've been doing in terms of ordering out and doing what we can to uh, support who we can. You know, there's a lot of things that I could be getting. We just have, we have, we just added a new puppy. I just got back from the local pet store because I could have gotten everything that I needed cheaper and probably faster uh from amazon but i don't want that you know i want to help that store i don't even know if my little you know my little assistance is going to be enough to push it through but then again on the other hand it might be the difference so uh just trying to do things like that it's it is it's rough here but we have not had um like we haven't had a lot of cases we haven't i think i don't know that there's anybody who is actually died in our community that's been identified as having died from the virus so it feels a little bit surreal um but i also believe that people have been very uh very careful about the social distancing the greatest issue actually is people from the rest of the bay area who still want to come to the beach and still want to come uh to to our part of the uh of the area and the locals really aren't all that happy about it. It was like all the park the beach parking lots are closed. The beaches are supposed to be closed and you still have people, you know, coming over the Hill. So uh, that's, that's probably the biggest issue we have, which is not much of an issue at all.
0: Yeah. They closed, they closed everything here. They, you know, it's interesting. I drove down to Newport, California about an hour away, 45 minutes away. And it, it was much more in Orange County, um, not Cavalier, but there were a lot more people out. Um, you know, clearly not usual. But, you know, Manhattan Beach has been pretty good with a mask. But I'm going to go for a run here. And, you know, most people are just social distancing. And, and there's always a nice breeze here, a lot of sunlight. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if sunlight and breezes work. I saw a study last Friday. There was a story about keep your doors open in your house, turn the A.C. off, have some humidity, have some sunlight. It flushes out the house. So, you know, I live in a beach town like you. where we've always got a breeze, yeah. tons of sunlight. And I think it helps. I mean, why are all these beach towns not suffering from it? You know, you've got that constant 10 mile an hour breeze, tons of sunlight. Does that help? I I think that's possibly the wind helps. You know, I don't know. It it does seem weird that your beach town and my beach town and California beach towns have not faced it.
1: Yeah, I I don't have an answer for it, but um, I'm going to roll with it. So, all right, my friend. Listen, thank you very much for... Uh, for joining me and uh, hopefully hopefully, I am correct and the NBA will reconvene this summer and we'll have some things to talk about whether it's on the podcast or it's on air.
0: And I'll have reason to come You're down fine.
1: maybe and even um, we can hit slay. I'd love that. I'd right, love it. Alright right, Colin, thanks a lot man. Appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like us to do something for you, screenshot that review and send it to at Friends on Twitter, and you will be eligible to win some prizes. In the next podcast, I'll be joined by either one of my FSN one colleagues, T.J. Hushmanzada or LeVar Arrington or Will Blackman, to break down the NFL draft. That's in the next podcast. In the meantime, please stay safe and thanks for listening.